Hey everybody, it's Chris. Thank you for downloading another episode of Pitch List. Got a great show today. I've got Brett Beavers. We're going to sit down and talk about uh, lots of stuff. We've both been here in Nashville a long time. And actually, Brett and I go way back all the way to high school. And we get into that. Um, Brett, to give you a little bit of his resume, has uh, produced lots of big country records. Uh, kind of started with Dirks Bentley. Uh, and has worked his way through several great artists. He uh, worked with Leanne Womack in the beginning, uh, playing bass, Martina McBride playing bass. Uh, has written a bunch of great songs, uh, Red Solo Cup, Toby Keith, What Was I Thinking for Dirks, a bunch of Dirk stuffs, Up All Night, John Party. I'm kind of reading a list here. There's quite a few. But uh, Brett is a great, great musician, great writer, great producer, and great person. I hope you really enjoy this episode, and thanks for downloading Pitch List. Hey, everybody. It's Chris. We're back on Pitch List. This morning, I I was thinking, man, you have to be my oldest friend in the music business. For sure, in Nashville. For sure. Yeah, in Nashville. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is Brett Beavers, everybody. Great to be here. And uh, we're just going to jump right in. We were talking, and and uh, Brett said, "Hey, we we need to roll on this." And you're right. Um, so where were we? We were talking about. Um, we started talking about. Uh, we're in your studio, which is beautiful, by the way, uh, and very inspiring. And we were talking about plaques. And plaques, you're like, you're like I don't, right. I don't like plaques on the right, wall. I right. don't. Uh, yeah, and I don't I remember why. You, well, I was saying we were talking about doing some advertising for the studio, and I said we do have a bunch of plaques in our kitchen, and we have them in strategic places in the studio. Yeah. But what I what I was telling Brett, and he agreed with me, I try to keep them out of line of sight in our writing area because I remember being a new writer, and I'm not going to say the name, but I I wrote with a guy who was a big writer. Yeah. And I went to his studio, man, and he had all of his yeah. oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all of it. They and still it, do. So yeah. a lot of them still do. Yeah. You know. and, and I and I just I it wasn't that I was. It wasn't that I was like, I don't think you should have that. I don't, there was something intimidating about it. I didn't like it. So I try, I've never wanted to do that. I want it out of this space. So if someone comes in here, I don't care if it's their first co-write they ever had, they might be incredible, you know, and I, and I want them to be free to do their well, thing. Well, if they walk in here and, and didn't know anything about you or Amy and look up and see, and, uh, you know, see amazed on the wall or whatever. And then they're like, that gets in their brain and they're thinking like, oh my goodness, I'm writing with the people that wrote amazed. They're awesome. It, did what I just say? Is it stupid? You know, and right, then all of a sudden right. it becomes part of the deal. I've seen both. I've seen rooms with like yours with nothing on the walls, and I've seen stuff uh, in rooms with everything on the walls. Mm-hmm. It's funny. There's there's not really any in between. There aren't any in between. There's like, not just a no. guy with like I got one up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that'll make me want to fill in the gaps around. Yeah, it. yeah. Anyway, one would get lonely. Well, and it's not, you know, and I, I want to be fair. I, I, we have we have crap all over our walls in our kitchen. It's everywhere in the yeah. studio. But but I do like to keep it out of this room, and it is a point to that. And uh, I we, like it. It's a good point. I think it's. Yeah. Um, I think it's. Really it's like cool cl- clean slate. Yeah, clean slate. Yeah. You know who? Because you know what the truth is, man. And we've both been doing this a while. It doesn't matter what we did. No. No, I mean, I wish it did. Hey, I if, really wish it did. But do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what we did. It only matters what we're going to do today and, and our relevance and our uh, 
Everything we've got is depending on what we can do today. It's like being a professional athlete. So forget about the plaques on the wall bothering your co-writer come in. Mm -hmm. Like, what if I walked into my room every morning and I got all of my stuff on the wall, right? That would, like, freak me out. I'd be looking around my corner going, "Uh, how in the world did I do that that day? I mean, that was, like, really lucky. I'm a big... uh, you know, faker, or <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's oh, not absolutely. like get in my own head, but what do they call that? Uh, imposter syndrome. That's you ever it. heard of that? Yeah. Where you kind of feel mm-hmm. like you're going to, at some point, they're going to discover they're that I'm, 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 a, I'm a total idiot. I don't know what I'm doing. I think everybody feels like, I think <laughs> the only people that don't feel like that are the kind of true psychopaths. I've run into a couple of those dudes who just, you know what I mean? Who <laughs> With really, publishing deals. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who really think, and some of them were good too. There's some, uh, there's one name I could, we're not going to say, but, he was good, but he really thought he was the second coming. I know for me personally, I, I'm a pretty honest person. I try to be. I, I can listen to some of the songs that I've been involved with that are big. I'm, I'm not. I don't know how it happened. They're, they're, they, they come down from above. You know what? I I, they drop it. They, yeah, yeah. So the, the the biggest secret, and you you know this, and for me has always been uh, the one thing I can do is show up. Uh, that's right. It's like I I used to tell Liz. Uh, you know, most of the great things in my life musically have happened just purely because I sat down and put a guitar in my lap. So I figure the more I can do that, the the better chance I give uh, those things a shot at happening. It's a huge part of it. And, you know, just to backtrack a hair, um, my whole reason for doing this podcast was to kind of bring some of the knowledge I had, some of the people that I know, like yourself, who, uh, who've done this a while and uh, could maybe help a person like ourselves who showed up in this town really not knowing. You and I have talked about this before. We both grew up in uh, a s- suburb of Dallas, and people really didn't know. Your your dad was a high school football coach. That's right. My dad was a HVAC guy. Yep. You know, and uh, nobody knew about the music business. You just there were just like kind of some little myth things you heard here and there, you know, but you didn't. Nobody really knew, and. Uh, my 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 goal with the podcast is to sort of in, in an entertaining way really kind of let people in and kind of help them with how things work and and what's important and what's not and if I you know if this yeah. had been around when we were thinking about coming out yes. of Garland Texas to Nashville yeah and hey I can go listen to what Tom Douglas has to say about right. the business I mean or even the internet for that matter you know yeah. right it's been a while back. It would have been awesome. So it would have been awesome. I hope. To, I hope this morning is uh, is good. Is good along, along those lines, I, I prepared some questions because uh, what I'm going to tell everybody listening. So Brett and I <clears throat> went to high school together. Yeah, man. In North Garland or North Garland Raiders. Right and, on. Uh, right on. We go way back. Now we sort of lost touch for many many years, and then both showed up in Nashville, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is really wild. We both played euphonium in the high school band. That's low brass. That's low brass. A, that thank like you. Bar- and tuba, like a small like a tuba. Tone, yeah. Uh, and then I went to uh, SMU in Dallas. You went to Baylor. Baylor and Waco. Right. Um, we both ended up being bass players. I played bass in several bands. You played bass in Texas bands. I moved out to LA. And always then, the low end. Always, always the low always end. The low end. And then eventually you. Um, the, then I'm just kind of looking on your radar. You you bounced around Texas for a while, and then you ended up being playing for Martina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can, is that when you moved here? Yeah, I was. Uh, I went ahead and graduated just mainly to keep my parents happy, and because I wanted the 
accomplishment as well. I went ahead and graduated from Baylor. It was tricky. I mean, I was in and out for a couple of years, kind of bounced around. But playing playing music? No, no. Uh, basically, the old uh, flunk out one semester, go somewhere oh, else, back okay. to Richland College for a semester. Oh, okay, you know, I did that college, too. I did then, that too. Then okay. follow a girlfriend somewhere else for for a semester right. that breaks up. Yeah. Then you know where else left to go. So back to Baylor. Yep. And what's the quickest way to a degree? It happened to be a teaching certificate. So yeah, I did graduate, and but I immediately kind of um, just uh, had started been writing and been a music thing and played in a couple of bands. I immediately got into a band there in Waco, Texas. Uh, and the only it, it was funny. My roommate had a bass uh, when we were living in uh, Waco. And I thought, man, I'd, I'd love to be in a band. And so I went to the music store where I taught guitar lessons. And I was looking on the flyers, you know, the help wanted ads. And it said, working country and Western band, <laughs> looking for a bass player, you know, eight eight gigs a week or whatever it is. Da, da, da. And I called the guy up and I said, look, I've, I've never played bass. Will you give me a week just to audition? You know, give me, give me the live tapes. I'll rat hole. I'll get in a room and woodshed and learn them and let me have a chance to audition well they did and i did i spent for a week like just literally just woodshedding all day alabama gene watson george Strait, learning the bass parts mm-hmm. on a broad bass audition i got the gig so boom i'm a bass player so anyway I, I immediately got in a band as fast as i could and then spent four years uh bouncing around the mid texas central texas area playing in dance bands and such and ended up in nashville in 91 uh, from kind of a very fortuitous phone call uh, from a friend of mine, Daryl Dodd. So, Okay, well, we're going to yeah. come back to that. But, but before we go to Nashville, so now, but I was reading, did you teach at some point in there? Yeah, yeah I for did. For a small... I you, taught for a year. Uh, did you play music at that time, or no. did you kind of lay it down? I uh, got married, uh, moved to Tyler, Texas, and kind of got out of the band. I was pretty burned out on the uh, the touring scene, yeah. you know, every weekend. Well, it, it's rough. You're you're in a you're making I, I don't know what you know four hundred dollars a week or whatever. You're not making that much money. You're running around in a van. You're staying in a. You're burning up a lot of miles. You're loading yeah, a lot of pickup a trucks. A band crash by pad. It's like oh, we've got an apartment y'all can stay in. Yeah. It's like yeah, it looks like a flop house for you know. Yeah. Two o'clock uh, loading yeah. a pickup truck. It sounds like it is yeah. a young man's dream. Uh, it, absolutely. it was and it, awesome. And it is fun when you're young. But after several years and three or four or five nights a week and driving to Fort Worth from Waco, I, I, I got a little burnt. And I think it was the time for me to, to try something else. Anyway, I got married. We moved to Tyler, Texas with... Uh, my wife found a good job there, and so I just went to figure out what I was going to do at that point. <clears throat> I'd, I'd actually purchased a brand-new bass boat, thinking I was going to be a professional bass fisherman, uh, which which I also loved, <laughs> and uh, because a buddy of mine was going to do that, Alton Jones. But uh, that didn't really pay any bills. It actually just cost me money. So while I was, <laughs> so I decided, uh, you know, I'd love to be uh, another one of my that. buddies sell, actually sells fishing lures. So I said, I'll, I'll try that. I'll be a tackle rep. I did that and realized that was a, actually a salesman job and I'm a terrible salesman. So that didn't last six months. So I got, a, I, I did teach school, use my degree for a little bit. I was, you know, kind of a substitute here for a minute and then uh, taught one semester at this really little bitty school uh, in Alba Golden in in Texas, and it Wait was a minute, in, stop. Yeah, in Alba. Alba Golden, yeah, that in, is so, very close so to great. Lake Fork. I know my mother lives outside of Alba. No, right way. now, yes, you know where Alba is. Okay, right on, Brett. Listen, <laughs> this is so strange. Yeah, because my parents uh, bought a little seven acre piece of land. Uh, right between Sulphur Springs and Alba. Okay. 
okay, uh, right outside of Golden, and uh, and they ha- it had like a little trailer on it. They eventually put a house on it, and my parents retired out there. My father passed away. But my mother lives there right now. Awesome, Alba, Texas. It's like forty five minutes to a Starbucks. You got to go to Tyler. Oh, forget Starbucks. Yeah, you're looking I mean, for a Mapco. I mean, yeah. Anyhow, uh, I was do I did a little school teaching to answer your question, right. and, and I thought I was teaching high school at that point. It was a lot of a lot of prep, a lot of uh, you know studying, stay ahead of the kids, and grading papers. And I said, well, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going to get a job teaching sixth grade science really something a little more easier on the the curriculum side of things and and so i did i had a job i was fixing to start in the fall of 91 and uh daryl dodd my buddy called me said hey man i've been to nashville we can go up there and play in a trio if i got a bass player you want to go audition i said heck yeah so i went up and we got the job uh quit my school teaching job and then moved up here like, as a trio man. with Daryl. Daryl, it was me playing bass. Daryl um, on guitar, and then they had a, a, a female singer that they'd put us with, Amber Ridgeway, who was awesome. So we started playing that year at the, at the uh, Opryland Hotel three or four or five nights a week for the tourists. You know, three or mm-hmm. four or five set, three, three or four sets a night. So similar thing, but I was in Nashville. It was an opportunity to get here and because uh, I'd always been into songwriting and been sending my tapes up here before I even moved up here. The whole deal, that, all mm-hmm. that whole deal. This gave me an opportunity to come up with a job, and, and uh, I, I was young, and we were, uh, you know, pretty carefree, and we just jumped at it. And your wife, uh, she she didn't have a problem with the move? She No. no that's awesome. And, uh, she she was awesome. She never thought twice. It's like That's great. Let's go. You know, I think, uh, I think that's an, a really important thing to have a partner who at least has an understanding of what it means to you. And is willing to do that. You know, there's, there's, there are people you can, you can get married to somebody who, who doesn't want to move, you know, or who doesn't like the music business. And, and I get and it. it. Can, I it would be, get it. I mean, oh, I, yeah, absolutely. If I, absolutely. I, I love, love Texas. I wouldn't want to move yeah. to, yeah. I don't know, wherever yeah. she might want to. And most Texans so. are pretty, pretty uh, they love the roots, they man. Do, they love they the motherland. Do. No, it's every, uh, everyone in my family, they continually ask me, well, when are you coming back? Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course you'll move back. You yeah. know, like so. You've done so many cool things, um, and you ended up playing for Martina, and you ended up playing for Leanne Womack, and I think that's where I reconnected with you because I was writing a little bit with Leanne or hanging out and had met her, and she she's a hoot, man. Yeah, I love I love I, her. I love her too. It was from ninety seven to two thousand five playing bass with her. It it was really awesome, and but you know some of the stuff that people don't know about her is. She loved great musicians, and so we, you know, we put together. We had really good bands, guys early on that would pick, uh, really could pick, and loved the old stuff like the Bob Will stuff and the old swing to- swing songs mm-hmm. or some Ray Price. Really musical things like that were kind of like the the backbone of country music, which you know, you know, she loves. So we were allowed to, you know, really play as musicians on stage so she'd sing uh rosa san antone or whatever mm-hmm. we'd be able to go off and do the the little three or four yeah. piece band thing and like really show that we could pick mm-hmm. it was musically a great band to be in it was never just about uh yeah what are the hits let's play the hits yeah. she loved musicians and she loved country music and that's that there's always been you know 
the one in the other. That it's the musicians also that come along with it, not just the singers and the songwriters, but the great musicians and guy. It's the guys on the road. At least back when I was on the road, it's the guys on the road that know who those cats are and that are picking up their licks and and are sitting around the back of the bus or the dressing room, jamming, yeah. actually learning all these things. So it's very musical. And I know you. I know that you I, I did a uh, you know a stint on the road playing bass, and I know that you have seen that side of the business. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, and it's been in you a long time. I mean, when we did meet in high school, I mean, I was, I don't know if I ever told you this, but you were a senior. I came in as a freshman, so you were like sort of a high school god to me. Long hair. I mean, you long hair, your first chair in the euphonium, in the top band, and you and your buddies, uh, one of the guys' name was Chris, played flute, and Robert Red, uh, Renfrew. Yeah. There's some several guys, and you, but you always had these cool little ensembles that would play like Beatles medleys, you know, for competition. And so even then, you're like, you're in the band, but you're cool, and you're making music, and you're putting, you know, combinations together. So still, the musicianship was important to you back then, important to us, and it, con- it continues on, on the road. So. It was cool. Long, long way to go around and just to say that that was one of the better things uh, about her, not just being a great singer, but she loved great musicianship and really good country music and super, super great boss to work for. Yeah. I've only hung with her. You know, you're almost living with someone when you're on the road like that. But she seems to me like she would be. She's a fun hang, you know. Oh, yeah. So what's crazy. So you worked with her and Martina. So probably the two best females of that generation. <laughs> you were playing with them. Live. And, you know, I don't, I was and I'm going to ask, but, you know, we were writing some for Martina and we would hear things like she she's a whip cracker on her band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. Well, in, not, in a loving not a bad way. way. No, no, in a loving way. And I love Martina and we go, I, I, I love her. But I, you know, it, 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 people would always say, oh my God, she would get, they'd play a show and the whole band goes back to the bus and they'll go review tapes and stuff and pull out charts and, you know, talk about what got missed. And I was like, oh Lord, I can't believe that. I mean, you know. It's ne- it was never that bad. I was with her from the beginning, wasn't. 92 through 96. It was never it like that. Never like that at no. all. No. I mean, she was super cool. I, w- I became a band leader at some point. She was super awesome to me. It was uh, her and John, you know, took a took a role in all the music. They might li- we might listen to board tapes after the show. We might, you know, go, we need to work on this. You know, she was definitely a little more uh, managerially involved in the in the band and the, the rehearsals maybe than Leanne was. <clears throat> but uh, I mean, they were they were super great to me, and I you know I knew them before they ever had a hit bef- before the yeah. first single was even when out. he was when he and was running the Garth tour. he was doing the Garth tour. I've yeah. seen I've been on the road with both of them for miles and miles and and hours and hours and in Europe and days and days. Spent tons of time. Love these people. Love yeah, these people. I do too. I was a backup bus driver one time for them, and I'll, I'll never forget. And I tell my kids this story, and I tell anybody this story because I just love, I love, uh, especially John's perspective, but both of their perspective. Um, I'm in Coney Island of all places, driving a, one of their Prevosts. I'm backup driver, so I'm actually in the bus trying to back it around a corner. Coney Island, really tight, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking, and I've got my fiddle player out there. Jim Skelding backing me up, and he's. I'm looking in the backup mirror, and I see him. He's come on back, come on back, beef, come on back, and I'm just bringing her on back, making the turn, and in just slow motion, horrible sound. I'm crunching out the back lounge window on an awning, and it's just 
it just smashes the whole back of the back lounge window in. Um, and after all the sound, finally Jim, the fiddle player, goes, you know, goes, whoa, stop, 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 stop. Oh, and I'm shit. like, I don't know whether to be mad at at Jim. He didn't know, you know, the bus. He probably are so was huge. looking at the bumper. He's not looking up here. It's it's above his head. Yeah, and things yeah. like this happen that's, if you drive yeah, enough it's, miles. It's, it's an accident. Anyway, I felt. I, I just felt horrible. And sure. a part of me was a little scared. I was really early on. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm like, yeah. maybe I'm going to get fired or maybe they're going to at least take it out of my paycheck yeah, because, uh, you know, and a, a paycheck, we were living on those month to month. Dude, I went to John with my hat in my hand. I was, I was so nervous. It's like, John, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I got to tell you, man, I was back in the bus and, you know, just, I just, put an awning right through the back lounge window dude i'm so sorry you know i'll, I'll take it out of my check whatever i pay for it. he's like dude don't worry about it it's no big deal if money can fix it it's not that big of a problem wow true john mcbride yeah yeah I'm if like, money can fix it it's not that big of a problem it's true that's something he told me i've I mentioned it to him before but i was like mm. oh that's great and it yeah. made me feel awesome it was in, in a way inspiring to me and you know no, as he's, he's an inspiring guy in lots of ways yeah i mean Look at his Blackbird thing. I mean, he is a passionate person who has got a dream and a vision, you know, and he's like one of those yeah. great, he's like one of those great characters in a movie or something. He's, he is. And I'll tell you another thing I love about John McBride. Boy, how long has he been married to Martina? What, 20 years? Ever since I've known you, him. If you said the wrong thing about Martina, he would bust a Coke bottle off and stab it in your <laughs> damn eye. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He loves Martina, and I mean it in a great way. He is <clears throat> he is all in on Martina McBride, and you better recognize that when you even just walk up to John McBride. He knows he got a good one. The John McBride stories are endless. Yeah, yeah. Endless. They're good I mean, They're good. Oh, my God. We went to his house one night for a dinner party. And then we're retired to go listen to some Beatles records, which was just amazing because I hadn't even heard a turntable in forever. Mm. Now, this is before the sort of resurgence of vinyl. Mm -hmm. He's like, have you heard a record? And I said, no, man, probably not in 15 years. He's, he puts on some Beatles records. It's just like, oh, I can't believe how great that sounds. But I'm d sitting on the floor and I put my hands up under the couch, you know, just kind of stretching out after dinner. And I'm like, what is that? And I kind of pull this out and he's like, oh, that's where that was. It was the original reel-to-reel -reel for the Meet the Beatles record. It's worth like $75,000. It was under the damn couch. That's He's where like, that is. That's, that's where, where that is. is. Anyway, um, so, well, so but let's get past all the playing because I think what people listening to the podcast yeah, are what do we need more to talk about? interested in is like your beginning relationship with Dirk Bentley. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably where you first hit the radar here as a writer producer. Yeah. Now, did you did you and Dirk start together? Uh, or did no, you no, we didn't. I, I'd been out. I'd been riding at Sony uh, for a few years, and uh, Arturo Buenohora was my point guy or my song plugger. Right. So they, you know, sometimes inside the bigger companies, they'll assign a certain number of writers to a. Uh, point person or song plugger so they can kind of keep up with your own stable of writers so Arturo was my guy and uh, Dirks was another songwriter inside the company at Sony okay. Music Publishing yeah. and it was a uh, Buena Horas you know really brilliant idea to just to kind of throw us in a room together and get us together and he's go hey you want to you you want to do some writing with this kid Dirks Bentley I said yeah man let's meet and so 
<clears throat> long story short, we did. We met a couple of times, started writing some songs, and I knew early on I was going to... I, I, I had no idea early on that anything was going to happen that di- actually did happen, but I did know early on that I loved this guy and that he he made me smile uh, because he was so just kind of edgy and wild, um, edgy and wild. You know? Okay. It wasn't uh, early on. It, was, it didn't happen all the time, but he rolls in. 10 o'clock a song, writing a poem that maybe at 11, late, cause sorry, beef, I'm late. He smells a little like beer, you know, like <laughs> a, a lot like beer, like a lot beer, a lot of beer's been consumed over the night. Um, like maybe he didn't sleep. Right. Oh, yo, dude, I'm sorry, man, dude. Everything was dude back then. And I lost my wallet with uh, the only guy I've ever been arrested with. And I think it's the, in just this, like he was living it, you know, single guy in Nashville. Yeah. Country music and it's like like Hank Senior kind of stuff okay. like you know All just right. really yeah, yeah. just big truck the whole deal yeah, I was yeah. like I love this kid I love it you know it was at the time when to me country music was uh, on the radio was fairly uh, pop I'm just gonna say it man just fairly pop and for yep. for me um, uh, it a little bit like the maybe the Harlequin romance section of the bookstore. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. very soft. There was a time when you remember this, Chris, when uh, we used to talk about soccer moms. That was our uh, that was the target yeah. audience, and, yeah. and so uh, I, yeah, I you, was involved in some of that. When you when you wrote in a writer's room, you, you mm-hmm. know, that you might have to consider like are the are the soccer are mo- soccer moms who are driving the minivans going to like right. that you said that right. No, some people might find it's hard to believe that, you know, the songwriters were actually thinking about these things when they were making their, you know, creations. Oh, yeah. But, you know, yeah. in a commercial, in the field of commerciality, and you're trying to get songs down well, the road. I think the town still suffers from this. Just it the, could be. It, it, I'm, you, you know, when, when Dirks came along into my life, uh, that's the that's kind of the era we were in. I didn't necessarily like it in... in um, on the radio, I mean, me and my brother Jim, we grew up listening to Bo Cephas, you know, Hank right. Jr., Country Boy yep. Can Survive. We, I mean, we, we just, we liked that kind of stuff. And so, in Alabama, uh, anyway, so, and so here comes Dirks, and I'm like, all right, Arturo has this pl- uh, plan of maybe writing some songs, doing a showcase, and maybe getting a record deal. And I was like, this guy could really help put some testosterone back into country music. And I'm like, I could work with this. I like this. This is kind of, it it feels very natural and very organic, mm-hmm. and it the whole thing was Chris. Honestly, I mean, I did not come to Nashville to be a producer. I'll be the first one to tell you that. <clears throat> but any, you know, any songwriter that spends their time here working on demos, week in week out, you 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 kind of become one. When you yeah, work, you do. You, 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 you can't you, help on it. a certain level. You Absolutely. have to work with musicians. You have to know the you do. tempos are right, the keys are right, the and arrangements you, feel right, and all, if you stay, all of the, that stuff. And if you stay long enough. You end up hearing maybe a version of something you've been a writer on cut in a way that you think, well, dang, I, I, I think it could have been better this way. Or, I mean, there's no way not to, because you have to play that role just to present your music. That's right. That's right. That's you have right. to, because uh, now I think we're in a time now where uh, there aren't as many full band demos going. There's a lot of cooler demos happening right now, which is awesome. Uh, but when the time we're talking about, it was County Q or Ruckus Room, and that stuff was just sounded like it came off the radio. Yeah, it was full band demos. Yeah. And so I wrote some songs with Dirks. Uh, 
Arturo put together a showcase. A couple of labels went there. Mike Dungan liked him, offered him a record deal, Capitol Records. And uh, the the question of producer comes up, and I still thank Mike to this day. He's like, I and I like those demos. Let let Beav try it. Let Beav try first four songs. So me and uh, no, I, I went out go. and found a I went out and found a, a badass engineer who I could work with and was comfortable with, Luke Wooten. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did the first four sides at Ocean Way with some players I'd been working with in the studio already doing demos because yep. I, I needed to be comfortable in the studio, feeling a little bit you know anxious about the performance of it anyway. And it, and they worked and they they're like go finish the record, and we did and they were kind of like doing demos just spent more money and more time and it was great and fun and young and exciting and creative and you know he had some hits and there you go all of a sudden i'm a a producer so yeah uh it i fell right into it or it fell right into me well but there's two things going there um you know that you seem to have an authentic desire to have something into the market that wasn't there and that's that's great. And I think that, that, you know what I mean? Like, I really think the way this thing works is that if you can really offer the, the world something it needs, mm-hmm. it'll work. You well, it wasn't, I mean? I'll tell you this, it wasn't my brilliance or, or my vision or my foresight going, you know, what's missing is no, no, this. But you it just him. so happened you liked him. here comes Dirks. Yeah. I like this kind of music. Yeah. He's the embodiment of that. Right. I really don't love what's on radio. Let's make some of this music yeah. our own way. And the timing worked and he got a break. Yeah. So let's fast forward to the, to now. How do you see it different now? After all your experience, do you, is it all, does it, does the business look the same to you now? Or is it different? I guess it's always different. How is it different? Interested in your take? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I was thinking about that question coming over here. Uh, You know, one thing that's different is me. You know, Mm -hmm. our Mm -hmm. perspective. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm over 50 now. So you think about the phases of life and the way you you naturally will look back and maybe be a little more philosophical about things uh, in your 50s as you are in your 28s or your 20s or 30s. Yep. So that's going to color whatever I say a little bit. But I mean, I'm just going to throw that out there first. Say I'm different. You know, I'm a different person than I was back then. Taking that into consideration, one of the things I did notice is that since the town's been growing so much in the past five years or so, and Music Row has kind of gotten uh, shrunk and then split up and people moving around, <clears throat> it doesn't feel like it did to me in the 90s. Um, it felt more like a small town then. And most of it was or uh, oriented around Music Row. So you, everybody was kind of down there. And there was an energy that that I think helped bring to that that part of the town. I agree. And I agree. you were, if you weren't down there every day, you were down there every week. I mean, I guarantee, I guarantee yeah. you, doing yeah. something. I was at the fire hall, and I'm sure guys on your on your podcast talk about that building. It's still there, writing songs. And so when that's happening, you're bumping into people, and Sony's right there, and BMI's right there, and so and Columbia's right there. So. That of course has changed in the in the town just because of growth and and it's it's unfortunate to be telling anybody starting out in the business or younger to say well 
we don't have this thing that we had that was great, but maybe something will come along that'll help replace it. Well, but there was a thing, man. Uh, it was, and it, it was it was great. It was even probably better before we got here. Yeah, it might have been. And I don't mind telling the Belmont students. I've spoken to them a time or two. Uh, a time or two. I don't. I don't mind telling them the truth that they're not going to miss something that they've never. That's knew. true. That's true. I, you know, if you sit up there and sing the blues in front of them, about you know, guys, you're coming into a town that doesn't feel as small as small as it used to in the '90s. You know, well. Mm-hmm. They don't know. No. They're like, dude, all I know is how this town feels in 2015. Yeah. And to them, it's awesome. It might yeah. be like amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. we really have to fight to retain at least some piece of that innocence yes. Yes. or at least the, the, goal, the ghost or the memory of that. Yeah. Because it's, it, it, life is going to kind of take it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more things that climb on your life, it's going to be a little heavier and heavier. So, it's more incumbent on us as human beings um, to fight to keep that innocence. Or what yes. was it that stirred back then? Right. If you can't, if you don't feel it as much, then just think about the memories of it. Um, and that's why I tell my kids, or I would tell Belmont students if they're listening to this podcast. And by the way, it, the, if, if this is the first one you've listened to, go back and listen to all the rest. I've listened to all of them. He got a A-list group of songwriters. They're really, really great, insightful stuff, Chris, by the way. Oh, thank you. If you're 20-something, if you're Belmont, if you're in South Dakota and you download this and you're listening to it or whatever, and if you're in your 20s, this is what I tell my own children. I said, if you got something that flips your light on, that makes you come alive, that you think that you lay in bed awake thinking about, or you would do for free, Mm -hmm. or you can't not do, basically for you and me songwriting, or production or mu- yep. or playing an instrument. I said, if you got anything like that that flips your switch and it's standing out there in front of you, tempting you to come chase it, chase it in your 20s. Chase it like mad. Go after it. Because the 20s, to me, is, and looking back, I, I'll say at least this was me, it's the most blissfully ignorant dumb decade of your life you had <laughs> no the, idea in the best possible way in the best possible way yeah. you had no idea the odds that are against you right and you don't care and you don't care you're just like i mean to for us to just move to this town yes. thinking we're gonna and that's, that's uh, nuts it, it right is nuts so everybody that everybody that ever chases a dream has done that so we're not we're not unique but it normally is in the in your 20s when you're you're blissfully ignorant, and that's a great thing. And so you just go after it. You don't care about uh, failing. You don't know about the odds stacked against you. you don't, you're don't. you not jaded. You're not cynical. None of that stuff. And you're not into your 30s. The world has not started to climb on your back. And by that, I mean children, mortgages, car payments, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of that stuff that you start getting in your 30s. It's harder and harder to make those crazy, wild decisions when you right. have stuff on your back. Oh, absolutely. And if you do, I think that's so well put, Brett. I mean... If you do, if you do have that, uh, that urge that, that say you write songs and you're going to do it whether you get paid or not. And you do, it's just a part of you and it's, you'll miss sleep. You need eight hours of sleep and you're only getting four cause you're writing and then you get up and go to work. Then you're absolutely right. That's what you should do. You should chase it down. And because you never know where anything's going to lead. And I'll tell you another thing. There's been some very negative things about the new technology, but there's some very positive things. One of the most positive things is that anybody anywhere for $400 can get Pro Tools on a laptop or, or even less. A GarageBand works probably just as good. Um, you can make your song on GarageBand for like whatever, 
$10. You can put it up on uh, Spotify now for free and your track will look just like Drake's. <laughs> it won't look any different it because you could say Joe Blow, uh, you know, Destiny Records. It won't look any different than Drake's thing, who's downloading five billion a second. So song, I think the songs will just have to be great. The you songs, know. yeah. You still and have to. You still have to write, write a great song. Thanks for listening, everybody. Pitch List will be right back. So here's a question for you, because it's not too many people. We have a shared experience of writer, producer. Um, have you ever thought, I have thought this, um, in, in order to produce records, you end up dealing with record companies, with mm -hmm. A&R, management. You know, you get into other things that you don't necessarily encounter as a songwriter. Right. Promotion departments, yeah. uh, lots of stuff. Well, and that knowledge is good and bad. And the way it's bad is that it could, it, I wish I could unlearn some things and, and, and keep them out of the writer's room. I know. Cause they mean. don't belong in the writer's room. Do you ever, have you ever encountered yeah. that? I, I know exactly what you mean. We, we, like you said, I think a second ago, when we were doing the early Dirks records, we weren't, we didn't know anything. At least I didn't. Okay. Uh, and Dirks didn't. He was a brand new artist. I mean, he had made an album on his own independently. So he kind of, he knew the process definitely. Yeah. But we just, you know, big records, big budgets, country radio, hit songs. We didn't know anything about that. We didn't know anything. We just like, what do we like? He had, he had definitely a, a, a very good vision of what he wanted to do on the record. He came from a bluegrass background. He mm -hmm. loved mandolins and banjos. That made perfect sense. And so when it came to time to talk about pianos and keyboards and who's going to do this job on there, you know, I'll never forget asking him, what do you think about, you know, who do you want to play piano or keys? He's like, beep, keyboard. Nobody. Beep, piano, dude. <laughs> I hate piano. That's a, I'm like, right on. No piano. So there's another, you know, instance where we got lucky, uh, those records sound a little bit different. That sonic space wasn't yeah, taken up. Right. Wasn't taken up any space. It was literally all all acoustic instruments. Yeah. We just were just we were just doing our thing. Yeah. Um, later, of course, like you, Chris, you find out how to do you know the label politics, how to deal with A and R, the A and R process, listening to songs, the song search, album two, album three, album four. Mm -hmm. You got a track record. You got to keep it up. You got to stay successful. You got to write the next hit in the room. Man, it starts creeping in there. And it sucks. It, it really does. sucks. Early on, I was like, oh, dude, I love what you just said. What if we did this? Yeah, that's cool. Boom, there's a song. We were writing songs and cutting songs. Yep. Just that easy. Yep. It's like, and then you, you have some hits, and there's pressure for him to deliver, and he's a hard worker. I mean, he's, he's very involved in every aspect of his career. And so, yeah, I mean, you start thinking about album three, album four, as a quote-unquote uh, writer-producer uh, it's so hard, man. From the first fifteen yeah. minutes, you start you start banging on a guitar, and all immediately you start thinking, you know, mm, does Is he need a mid? As, yeah. Does he need another mid? Does right. he need another tempo? And and dude, I mean, I don't know the secret around that to, to not let that enter the room when I'm a producer and the artist I'm working with is there. Uh, well, uh, plus you can't, but it's not, it's not really it, it, good for the process. If I'll you have another writer in there with you, say I've come to write with you and Dirks or maybe right. just you and y'all are in the middle of a Dirks record. Well, I'm going to sit there and try to get you to tell me that I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to make you tell me we've got a ton of mids, something, no mids. Cause I'm in there for one reason 
Yeah. I want on that Dirks record. Right. So everything is going to, your co-writers, everything is going to push you. So then you get into a thing which is very counterproductive, which is, you know, trying to take the muse and shove it in a hole, in a spot. It and is. It just doesn't man, seem to work like that. I'll say this way. It, it can be counterproductive on that spiritual level, like the inspirational level. Mm-hmm. However, as a smart music creator, I mean, you think about these things. Yes, when, you do. When you want to, you yes. want to sit down. You and I want to sit down today and write a mm-hmm. song for Tim McGraw. We, we're going to we have know. a good idea of yes, what right. to and to not do. Yeah. And it's almost like, and that's just smart. That's just right. smart strategy. And it, <clears throat> like we learn that, and you and I know this, yeah. and and we won't even talk about it. We no, don't want no. to talk about it. No. Well, we pretend like right. we no. want to pretend we're going to pretend if we're going to write for Tim, we're going to pretend like we don't have any rules because we know rules are bad. <laughs> but we do know that there's some things we're not going to do. If on the other hand, if we're trying to write for Tim, there's some things he won't do. That's or, right. Or on the other hand, you and you, we, we could both sit down and go, let's write a song for Tim McGraw. And, you know, it that may be one more instance where the country songwriting creative communities become a little bit more like uh, the pop world. Hey, two guys going to sit down and write a song for uh, Michael Jackson today or this movie. Diane Warren's going to write a song for this movie. You know what? People do do that creatively, and they're able to then bring their craft to the surface yep. and, and, and do their thing. They're still looking for that initial spark of inspiration, but when they grab a hold of it, then they know what road to push it down. So it's not necessarily all blind forces, but there are some spiritual forces, not spiritual, but there are some un explainable things that you de- you need to draw from definitely but um at some point you know it's you you need to have strategies when you're in a room and you need to know what you're doing you need to be smart about it but That's you right. can't but you, then you it's like you can't pour that into the water and let it poison it <clears throat> because uh you'll edit everything along the way you'll you'll overanalyze everything mm. You know, this is a pretty deep subject to talk about, but it's just, it's there but, for us. But this is where we live. Yeah, it's, it's there for us, especially today. I mean, yeah, the, the younger riders that are coming to town, maybe they need to learn this a little bit, but uh, I I have no problem speaking the truth to young Belmont students or young riders that want to come to town and just telling them straight up, dude, your competition, the competition here is violent. <laughs> it's fierce. It's grueling. It's, it's okay. It's ridiculous. It's if you if you don't want to get on the field and scrum for the ball and get muddy muddied and your nose bloodied, if you don't, it's cool, man. Sit in the stands and read about it and dream about it. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna get on the field and you're asking me what it's like, I'm I'm not gonna blow smoke. Yeah. I, I, I have never liked that part of this town since day one. I don't either. And so when, when I'm talking to young kids, I'm, I'm not, it's not some fairy tale. Nashville is not the end of the rainbow. It's not. No. It's, it's, a, it's a ditch with a lot of shovels on it. And, and if you want to grab one and go after it, and when you're willing to work hard, you, you, uh, you can do good. But I tell them, you, you straight up, hey, your, uh, your competition is Ashley Gorley or yeah. Rodney Claus. Well, your your, your or, competition's way down is ahead of you. It's like a mile or two down the road. You can't even see them. Yeah. 
They're out of your field of vision. Okay, so you don't even need to worry about them. And that's you not see, bad just, news. I'm not no, trying no, to no, discourage no, them. No, 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 no. It's true. They just you just need to start walking. But I think one great thing about the town is um hard work pays off here. I have seen I have seen mixtures like if I look, I I like to think of like if I look at a writer, I will say, you know, I can kind of think in my mind, this writer has this much talent and this much drive you know, hundred percent and like maybe 75% yeah. talent. And you can be in many, many configurations. Of that's that. right. That's true. Now, but the more talent they have, the worse it's going to go. If they the got, more drive, if they, they have, got the no drive and all talent. That's the worst. They ain't going to make it. They ain't going to make it. So no. the most talented people, this town will just eat them, chew them up and that's spit good. them out. That's good. That's true. Because, mm-hmm. because they'll be, they're too emotional. They're correct in what their assumption is. It's not fair. It's not right. So then you get into the drive thing. The more drive, you know, the better. Until That's, you get into all drive, no talent, and you got to have some talent. But I would say, you know, 80% drive, 20% talent is probably, you can have multiple number ones uh, for many years with that configuration. I've never thought of that. That's a really good, really good way of looking at it. Very so, good way. And, yeah. But I think, you know, and all people are different, and you could do 50-50 is good. Hey, man, it's like that in any sport uh, or any, any sport, football, whatever. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then, you know, gathering wisdom along the way as soon as you can because uh, you can work your tail off. You can work harder than the next guy and be and have enough talent and be riding with the wrong person. I mean, if you book 360 days a year, how many days are in a year? 365. <laughs> that's only five days. But if you, like my point being, if you book all year with the wrong people, I mean, that's just not very it's, smart. It's not, so there, and, and you know what? You could get lucky, but it won't work. There's if some you're not in the right rooms, yeah. 100%. And you know, I learned all that from Amy because she, her dad was a writer here. And even when she, she was very young, she kind of figured a lot of this kind of stuff out. And really, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it, how you configure your book is how it's going to be. Who you who you write who you, with? Who you write with? That's who what you, we're talking about. And who about. you write who you write well with? It's a right. combination of a who you write well with and who uh, your co-writers are connected to. I mean, for me, okay, if I write with somebody, here's all the boxes they can check. A, they the, do they play an ex, an instrument or don't play an instrument? B, are they a singer? Or are they not a singer? Uh, C, do they attract person? Not attract person. Uh, which means they can produce a little uh, demo on the fly as they go down. Do they have a publisher? Okay. Mm-hmm. Or do they have, not have a publisher? Yeah. Uh, do they even know an artist or a producer? So there, there's all these, these do criteria. They have a, and do you they don't, have a record deal? Do they have a record deal? You don't want to judge necessarily people this way, but it the worst person to me to spend my time with writing, and I think a lot of people would agree, is somebody that checked no on all those boxes. No, I don't sing. No, I don't play an instrument. No, I don't have a publishing deal or a song blogger. No, I'm not an artist. No, I don't know a producer. Don't have a cousin who's going to be one. And no, I'm not a track person. All right. There's, I mean, it's not very smart. I don't even know if they're a songwriter then. So, uh, yeah. No, it's so, not. so then you just take that and it's like that's very exaggerated form. No. And you, you pull a person like, let's say, uh, Rodney Clawson. Can he can he sing? Check. Great. You know. Can Unbelievable. He, can he play? Great. Has he had hits? Track yep. record? Great. Does he have a, a song plugger and a publisher? 
Bingo, ding ding, ringing the do, bell again. Do lots One of, of the artists, best. Do lots of big artists love his voice and cut his songs? Check. Check. Can he write with and t- send songs to Luke Bryan? Check. So he's very well connected. So he's got a lot of the boxes checked. So this is kind of what we're talking about. That's one end of the spectrum. No boxes are checked. And then one end of the spectrum where all the boxes are checked. I guess if you put Dirks on that instead of Rodney, then you got an artist and now he's recording his own music. So he checks one extra big box. And of course, I say all this knowing that somewhere in the middle is me. <laughs> yeah. I'm and that you, Chris no. Lindsay, might be looking at me going, does he have a record deal? No, no. No, no he- I'm thinking of myself. I'm thinking, <laughs> where do I? Yeah, damn it. Where am I on this bike? And I'm thinking, Brett's pretty smart. I need to ask him how I can get more boxes checked for me when we're done with the podcast. He may go, hey, you need to do this. I think it's important to, to at least have that knowledge and to think about it and to have your eyes open. But there is still this beautiful thing called creativity, creativity, excuse me, called music, called the muse that we still chase that cannot be explained. It, it, it can't be explained. Sometimes magic does happen. Yes. That's what keeps us coming back. That's what, that's what we're after. The, uh, the little band that we put together with the Warren brothers, me and my brother, mm-hmm. Jim and the Warren brothers, we got together. I had this idea. What if two sets of brothers wrote together? And knowing the Warren brothers, that they're crazy, that it was going to be off-the-wall fun, and the talent that my brother has and the success we've all had. I'm like, what if the what if the whole concept is is we get together and basically spend a day creating with no boxes? We we're basically giving a middle finger to the town or the genres expectations of us as writers or country radio or whatever you want to call it. It's wide open, whatever you want to do. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing. If it turns us on creatively, that's what we do for this one day this month tomorrow i can go back and be a lunch pail songwriter as my brother calls it go to work clock in my time try to be competitive this day we're just going to kick ass creatively and whatever else whatever happens happens so we did and out of that you know these songs came we made records we played on the records ourselves we put them out in the town threw them all the way around blah, blah 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 and it just created an environment where we were fearless to go crazy and to let it out and to not think. And the minute we started thinking about, is somebody ever going to cut this? Do you think they'd ever play this on country radio? It's like, we didn't let that in the room. And if somebody did, we'd smack them down. We're like, no, stop. No. This sounds like a punk country song. I know it does, but that's the way we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And out of that, you know, knock on wood, fortunately came uh, yeah, Red Solo Cup. Red Solo Cup and, and felt good on my lips. Get both of those. Another that was a number big, probably something big number else one. out of that record will get cut big eventually. Number one for Tim and another another Tim McGraw cut and, and maybe something else and a lot yeah. of just great music. We had an awesome time making. So mm-hmm. we were we were like uh, um, purposefully giving ourselves an opportunity mm-hmm. to to just be creative. And we we didn't care about Nashville. The whole, the whole Red Solo Cup thing was a. a a fluke. It was a joke song that mm-hmm. almost we didn't even put on our CD. Just and the way it happened was uh, just from being able to be in there and be crazy. Yeah, back a, a long time ago, uh, Amy, me, Marv Green. You know Bill, what I'm talking about. Yes, we made. I want to hear about how, the March. March project. So, how? What was your concept in our, starting? Same. 
Okay. It, it was exactly the same. It was like, um, we're going to make a record as if we're a band. No rules. No rules. It can be as rock, pop, blues, gospel, whatever. Whatever we want to do, we're doing it. And we wrote like, we set up a writing schedule where we just worked it in, just like you guys yeah. did. And we did two of those records. The first one, we got Let's Make Love cut off of it. We got like four cuts off the first one and two off the second. People loved it. And they cut the songs. So there's obviously something there. And I think that's what we're trying to touch on is what is that in the March Project, in the Warren Beavers, in, the, in everybody making their albums. And I think it's that freedom, that creativity that sometimes yeah. gets uh, you know, stolen from a room uh, before you walk in it. Well, and I hope that uh, people listening, um, especially the people starting out, to, to, just to give a little context, this a lot of this is not going to apply when you're working on your own from the outside. If you're living in Denver and you're writing great songs on your own and you're thinking about moving to Nashville, a lot of these things aren't going to come into play for you because you're just sort of expressing yourself. I do want to just say that a lot of stuff we just talked about in the last 15 minutes is really about when you enter the Nashville system or it could be the, you know, pop, whatever, just the, the, you know, published writers getting together in a, in a setup session with your publisher and my publisher. And then we're getting together and we're going to talk about what we're going to kind of do. And then we're going to write that day. These are the type right. of things that enter in there. Right. When you're, when you're on your own, you're kind of free. Right. Um, do you write by yourself? Yes, I do. I'm, I, I don't do it as much as I'd like to, but I do it. I do do it a lot, even if it's just to get uh, uh, an idea started mm -hmm. or a piece of music. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, it seems like in my, at least in my songwriting career, everything, every good thing that ever happened to my songwriting career started with me sitting down and putting a guitar in my lap. And so when I'm alone, I can, I can mumble, I can sing, I can holler, I can come up with crazy melodies, I can bang on my guitar, I can, you know. So I try to start stuff like that and maybe get a verse, maybe get a chorus, or maybe just get a, a, a line or mm -hmm. hopefully an idea, yeah. maybe, a, maybe a title. Titles and ideas are, uh, are nice to have these days. Yes, they are. All right, I have kept you long enough. Brett Beavers. I've Chris. really enjoyed having you come in today, uh, catching up. Uh, it was great to, uh, I, you know, we, we've been friendly through the years, but I really sat down this morning and last night and studied your whole career, and it's impressive, man. Wow, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. I've been I mean, very, you, very lucky and blessed. You, thank you. you. You too, man. Well, we've both been yeah. very fortunate, but as we know, uh, what is uh, fortune favors the bold? Fortuno yeah, Fortuno favors the bold. Yeah, my brother knows the saying. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. to think, did that we were sitting next next to each other in high school. Oh, isn't band. it crazy? Isn't That's it crazy? Nuts. That's nuts. Anyway, I loved it. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. And uh we will Have definitely shoot for a uh, part two. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Pitch List, the Songwriters Podcast. <laughs>